dead and lovely. Don't want to pod no more. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do want to keep on podcasting Aww, for you guys. Got to keep on podding. <laughs> Welcome, dead and lovely listeners, to Dead and Lovely, your absolute favorite horror movie review and general pop culture bullshit podcast your favorite one in yeah. all of the universe here with your Fuck yes your two hosts with the most it's me uncle ben and who's that that wonderful sensual voice i got on the other end of this line it's hollywood steven spradling you can't see it but i am currently flexing like lex luger oh man dude it's that's awesome. so tight you're just popping yeah. all over the place i'm just like Argh! yeah my shirt almost ripped off Damn, dude. How's mm-hmm. uh, how's life been out in them Hollywood Hills for you? Pretty great. It rained today, which is crazy. Boy, that's terrible. It's not like we've, you know, not had like a week of consistent rain and not seen the sun <laughs> since I think November in Tennessee. Uh, we did see the sun, though. So. <laughs> this has been like the most punishing Tennessee winter ever. You should be so stoked mm. that you're not here for it. It has just yeah, been like I am. so consistently like... Mm-hmm. brutally cold like usually here in east tennessee we'll have you know we'll have like a week where it'll be like 10 degrees and it'll be awful but then you know how it is most of the rest of the time it's like yeah it's around you know 35 today or something like that uh-huh it has just like stayed below freezing like well below freezing for the majority of this winter and i swear it has just been nothing but like gray gloom like i really should have been making Fuck. like a black metal album this year or something <laughs> Um, well, you know, that, uh, that's pretty terrible. And I would say winter can go fuck itself, Mm -hmm. but it's obvious that it already did because as we know, winter is coming. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. You've got a good point there. You got a good point, man. It fucked uh, itself and then it came. (laughs) You've been watching any good flicks out there in them Hollywood Hills? Man, I, (laughs) I got really into, I had never, uh, even heard of this before, but I got into big fat quiz of the year, which is a, uh, annual thing that, uh, happens on BBC four, uh, hosted by Jimmy Carr, Mm -hmm. uh, panel of guests it's just basically a pub quiz you know bar trivia type okay, stuff all right it's uh just funny people richard iowati is on there pretty often uh um richard or uh what's it russell brand who's okay, uh, yeah. very funny in in this situation uh other other people for sure that you would recognize um it's just fun I, I like to have it on in the background that sounds like a good thing and they answer various trivia questions and so forth. yeah and it's an hour like uh it's two hours when it comes on tv but like on youtube it's like an hour and a half so you can turn it on and uh hear some funny and and do whatever you're doing man sounds like a pretty good thing man yeah yeah i've uh i've really been enjoying it um other than that i haven't really watched anything Right on. My wife and I have been watching X-Files, as I've said, so, uh, you know, uh, nothing has changed there. My wife is getting into... She's always said that she only likes the Monster of the Week episodes, Mm -hmm. but she's actually getting into the whole conspiracy angle to it now. She's like, she's trying to really follow the story, which uh, sometimes is a bit tough, because it's not... (laughs) It doesn't make a ton of sense sometimes. Yeah, yeah, not, not seamless, no. Yeah. Anyway, that's been great. What have you been watching, Ben? That's cool, man. So, um, as as we've been talking about, we've been watching through Broad City over here, which continues mm-hmm. to be the best. We're on like yes. se- season, yeah. <laughs> We're on season four right now, and 
I think that's the last season that they have on Hulu, and I'm already like getting really sad that I'm not going to have more new episodes to watch. <laughs> it's so fucking good, man. Yeah. I, I was just reminded the other day of uh, the Pink Dick episode. The oh, God, yes. Where Alana's so going to get some Pink Dick. Man, that's Jesus, so funny. Dude. It's it's amazing. <laughs> Both of them are so fucking hilarious. And I yeah. don't know. They're, they're, it's just such a fun show to watch. It's one of those mm-hmm. ones that always just puts me in a good mood to check out. We watched the episode tonight when they were like tripping mushrooms and most of the <laughs> episode was animated. Yeah. Holy fuck, it was Wait, weird. I, have you seen the episode yet where Abby sprains her ankle in the park, it, like falls into a hole with a sprained ankle, and there's a dog wedding? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, okay. that one was that fucking so, so funny. Fucking awesome. yeah. Oh, my God, man. Yeah, I, I love it. There's honestly not been any dull streak or anything like that during the whole show so no. far, so I definitely yeah. love it. I started watching... Um, actually, I had a really really fucking crazy weekend and uh i'll get into that in a minute but uh i fell asleep trying to watch the ritual uh which is on netflix right now. oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, i've heard it's disappointing is that is that true i don't know see a bunch of people have told me that they really liked it i've heard from uh-huh. some other people that said they really did not like it it tends to be mm-hmm. a love it or leave it kind of thing so yeah. i just started it and i'd say i probably got about a third of the way through before i crashed not because it was boring but because my weekend was absolutely crazy ridiculous oh god dude it's ridiculous so <laughs> I, I fell asleep just from exhaustion but i was enjoying it very much so i plan on on finishing it out but i've heard a lot of good things about it so i'm gonna go back and, and check that out but yeah basically this weekend um i had a show playing some some good old honky-tonk country music uh-huh with my good buddy dave kennedy who's just an incredible incredible singer-songwriter that lives in nashville okay. um I was playing just kind of a drop-in gig with his band in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay, at fun this stuff. Place, yeah, yeah, at this place called Baxter. So it's probably about like a four-hour drive or so to get there. And the venue's great, man. That's one of those places that, that really treats bands super well. So if you're a touring band, definitely hit up Baxter's there in Louisville. They treat they treat you real good like. So we got up there. <laughs> Maybe Baxter's would like to advertise on the podcast. That could you know, be, man. Go for it. <laughs> We played up there, and that's another thing about that place, man. That that venue's owners and its patrons want to get you fucking drunk. Awesome. That's fun. Yeah. So, you know, like, everybody has a big bar tab that's that's free whenever we play there. And then also, too, they're just throwing beers and shots and stuff at the stage the whole time. So by the time we got done with our set, we were pretty drunk. And then <laughs> the, the owner is like, hey, you guys want to go to the casino? He's, we're like, what? Okay. There, there's apparently a casino right across the state line in Indiana. Oh, okay. So we hop into this guy's car at like 2 in the morning, and he drives us to this fucking casino, and we are there till about 7.30 a.m. Wow. Uh, as soon as I walked into the casino, my belt broke, and I threw it away in the trash can. <laughs> I, I literally don't know why. I was walking in. It's a nice leather belt too. I've had it for a while, and like I'm walking like, in, I've had like, enough. Yeah, Fuck it. I'm like my drawers are a little bit loose, so I just go to like tighten it up. Whole thing mm-hmm. just fucking falls apart, and I throw it away. So I spend the rest of the night, you know, hitching my drawers up, which is pretty cool. Baggy pants. Yeah. Oh, they don't like that in that area. And uh, I'm not much of a gambling man. I do not have the gambler's luck. Do you have that? I've never gambled. Nor do I. Actually, I, that is not true. I bet my friend Brad. In 1992, that the Toronto Blue Jays would beat the 
Atlanta Braves in the World Series, and I won five dollars, and I retired from gambling after that because I was like, you know, I'm on top. Yeah, you're 100 percent at this point. Yeah, one for one. Why fuck with your streak? <laughs> so I'm not much of a gambling dude, but the guys I was with were, were having a pretty good time, and uh, we were there there till like yeah seven or seven thirty. Again, more alcohol is involved. I fell asleep at a roulette table. Just fucking fell asleep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I got to bed at 8 a.m. And then hit the road to go back to Tennessee at, you know, like 12.30 or 1 or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, some of us were just severely, severely hungover. <laughs> I was not too bad. Thankfully, the bar at the casino closed down at like 3 a.m. before too much damage could be done. Yeah. But, yeah, so I had a great time, though, man. Playing, playing country gigs and stuff is so fun. It's such a different vibe than growing up playing rock and metal and stuff like that. It's a very, very, very different vibe, so... That was pretty much my weekend, hence why I why I fell asleep. Now, Steve, let me let me ask you, man. This will be coming out on a on a Wednesday, and I believe that it'll that be coming is, out on Valentine's Day. Yeah, the Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. Now, do you yep. have any lovey dovey romantic plans for you and the wife? Oh no, no, we don't do that. Valentine sucks. We have lovey dovey romantic plans uh, every week, and they're oh. mostly um, either me cooking for my wife and us watching. A horror movie or us going out to eat or some you know every once in a while you know every once in a while we'll go to the beach or something uh the water the water in the pacific ocean is freezing cold cold. Uh, it is the beach is nice it's real awesome uh we tend to go to venice um sometimes uh we we recently went there's a dog beach in long beach Mm. that is fucking awesome um, cause everybody's dogs there just running around, having a great time. Um, my dog picked up some other people. Oh, like some, there were these like, uh, early twenties dudes, all, uh, you know, buff looking guys hanging out. And, uh, she just went over right to them and they gave her some water. She enjoyed the water and then she was like, I'm out. <laughs> and they were Damn. just like enamored with her. She was like not not even uh, not even impressed by their muscles. So what a you know. hoe. She just full out Shania <laughs> twined them and was like, that don't impress me much. That don't impress me much. Damn, I feel like a woman. <laughs> okay, so you're Brad Pitt. <laughs> she said, <laughs> yeah, that did have. Also, she was on Broad City too. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That sounds like a really damn good time. And I'm I'm totally with you, man. Valentine's Day is fucking shot dude if you need yeah. like a mandated holiday to to treat somebody well you're a well, piece of shit you know that that is, uh, it's absolutely true um i understand maybe uh for people who are just so busy it's hard to set aside some time that if there is a day sort of designated there and and you you really go for it it can be a good time probably but uh, you know, we restaurants are just packed. Um, uh, movies are packed, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, it seems boring to me. like it, it, like everybody does that for one day. Like that, just do that a normal day. Like go like one Wednesday night, come home and be like, hey, let's just go watch a movie and eat some dinner. Yeah, <laughs> like, you don't you don't have to do that on February fourteenth, but yeah, you know whatever. Specific date. I understand. Yeah, we usually don't do fucking shit for Valentine's no. Day either, but it just so happens that I'm so stoked to talk about this because I think this is the third week in a row that I've been plugging Sitar Indian Restaurant <laughs> in Nashville, <Yes>. Tennessee. 
God damn, they should give us some money, by the way. I know, right? I'd take, actually, I would take gift certificates, by the oh way. Oh, my God, dude. If I could just go every now and then and get a fucking chicken teak and get out of there, I'm on Hell board. Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. So on Valentine's, they do a special like mega buffet and we've been before and really? it's like yeah i mean like the regular buffet they do it at lunchtime and it's fucking awesome uh-huh. but they do a special dinner buffet on valentine's where they like roll out all the heavy hitters awesome and uh yeah we just go and gorge and feast and uh, <laughs> i think this year we're going with my man andy and his girl lizzie so it should be a really oh, really cool. really good time so that's all right you know we're, we wouldn't go out otherwise uh, but, you know, special Indian buffet, come on. I guess that most people probably don't think that going and eating, like, super intense, like, garlicky fucking, you know, spice bomb food is a good romantic uh-huh. idea. But, man, I back it. You know what? Like, uh, that that's how Korean barbecue works. Like, yeah. you know, uh, and, and I would say... That is a real, that's a real intimate affair. You're cooking for each other at it's a true. Korean barbecue, et cetera. Like, uh, yeah, have, having some spicy food that's maybe going to be make your breath bad, whatever. Uh, maybe you'll be farting later or, you know, whatever. Uh, who hasn't had a sex fart, though? <laughs> and, you know, the, the thing is about the garlic breath and stuff, dude, is like, as long as everybody has it, it doesn't bother anybody. Like, oh, uh, unless it's my wife. <laughs> yeah, she's not. She's not yeah. okay with it. Oh my god, uh, she garlic. Well, uh, she loves garlic, but like, if she smells it on your breath, she it, it like dominates everything she smells. She that's all she'll smell for a while. Also, onions. If you've eaten onions, she can tell. Not yeah. just your breath, like your your general smell coming off she smells onions i don't know how she does it damn man is that why she and i've never hooked up is because i'm always eating the garlic that's the one reason yeah she (sighs) told me like you know every time i see him i want to like just make out with him but it's the fucking garlic you know garlic well and i'm like that's uh, strange that you're telling me this (laughs) yeah why would you even (laughs) say it I mean, you know, it's cool when you're like, oh, Tom Hardy's hot or whatever, yeah. because it's like, oh, it's Tom Hardy's off in the distance. We'll never. But Ben's my friend, you know, what gives? What gives? I say my mom, <laughs> my wife. I almost said my mom. My, <laughs> What's up, way, Mike Pence? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, by the way, my my wife has called me mom three times <laughs> while we've been married. That's weird. That's very um, strange. Um, but, um, my wife, she one time had a sex dream about Nathan Explosion. Yeah. The animated character from Metalocalypse. (laughs) She has interesting taste. That's tight. Was she animated or was he real? I, you know, I never asked. I gotta know. I'll ask her when she gets home. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. What? What if, Huh. Can okay. you have like a sexual affair that crosses the two-dimensional to three-dimensional boundary? I think that's free game. Like, Multi-dimensional? Yeah. That's fair. You do what you I like. Okay. Um, say for instance, um, I don't know, Elsa from Frozen's your your thing, and she comes <laughs> to life. Like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Like, it's not cheating. I guess though, honestly, you know. If you've ever jerked off looking at porn, that's kind of a 2D to 3D romance, isn't it? 
Yeah, I guess, <laughs> honestly, if you've ever jerked off, yeah, looking at any uh, representation of sex. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely. What if it's a statue and it's 3D, though? And you're like, that statue is banging. Hey, man. I Listen, we've all seen La Pieta. <laughs> I'm Jerk a statuephiliac. Michelangelo's David? More like Michelangelo's something that would have made that funny. Hey, you just got to make sure that that statue is on board with it. Elsewise, you can be accused of statutory rape. Am I right? <laughs> you just you just won podcasting just now. That's why we're the motherfucking champs. The tag team champs. God damn, statutory rape. There you go. You can use that. God, I will. man. Well, this week on our show, we're going to be talking about more than just fucking inanimate objects and stuff like that. We're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors! <laughs> Which, of course, is very highly regarded by many as mm -hmm. the, the best in the entire series and stuff. And yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what your thoughts on that are. Yeah. I know I have my own thoughts because I, mm -hmm. as I've mentioned on our, our Elm Street 1 and 2 episodes, which you guys can find, of course, in our back episodes, rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Pretty please. Hell yeah. Um, I love the Elm Street series. It's the first horror franchise that I ever watched all the way through at the, mm -hmm. the ripe old age of probably about 19 or 20 or something like that. So I feel like in a lot of ways the Elm Street series is kind of my, my gateway into really getting into into horror in a lot of ways they're by no means the best movies ever made they're by no means no. scary most of the time no no most of them are not scary in the least bit no uh -uh. but i do just enjoy them and i'm a sucker for them so i'm always excited to cover one of these on our show simply because they are some of my most endeared and maybe most oftenly watched horror mm -hmm. movies of all like oh yeah it's i i can go back to them anytime yeah no problem. definitely like i would say Man, I mean, I've seen the first one a million times. I would, I would yeah. say that the only horror movies I've probably seen more than it are like The Shining. Uh huh. Um, I don't know. Only a small handful of movies have I seen more than the first couple of Elm Street flicks. So I look forward to getting into this one today. And of course, this is part three in the series. And part three is an interesting thing in a lot of film franchises. Uh -huh. It seems to it seems to be some people's you know, highest point and other series, not so highest points a lot of times. Yeah, there are definitely uh, some some third parts that some would say uh, really uh, round out a trilogy yeah. and really are great. And some that suck big, fat, bloated donkey dicks <laughs> in a bad way. Yeah, I'm not, not saying in a good way. Because su sucking dick is a, a very positive thing. A plus. Um, <laughs> but... Um, I mean, like it's blended up, and you're sucking it through a straw. Yeah, that's not that's yeah. not working for anybody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get into reviewing the movie, we're gonna spend a little bit of time here and talk about some of our favorite and perhaps least favorite part threes in a lot of series. Here now, before we get started this episode, Steve, you compiled a little list, and I'm excited to go through it. So these are gonna be surprises around every corner because I'm not even sure what you've got on this list. What are you gonna kick us off with, man? Um. It's it would be hard because I, I did write down a good list and you sent me a, a number of good ones. It would be hard, though, to not go ahead and include Thor Ragnarok on a best of 
number three list. Fuck, I still haven't seen it um, yet, man. It is. It, it, it kind of breaks the. It kind of breaks the mold of what we're already talking about, which yeah. is sort of a third in a trilogy. It's a third in. Uh, the sense that it's the third one titled Thor, but of course Thor's been in a ton of other Marvel movies, so it's not the third movie with Thor in it, but sure. It and it doesn't like round out some big story for him uh from neither the other Dream two. Warriors, you know? But neither does Dream Warrior. That's exactly what I was thinking was if we're gonna talk about thirds, we gotta have some like Dream Warriors and, and Ragnarok is is Thor's Dream Warriors. It's easily the best of the of the series. I, wow. I mean Dream Warriors I would not say is easily the best okay. of the series, but um it, it it is sometimes touted by fans as the best. So like I mean, it's definitely debatable if it's the best. And I think Thor Ragnarok's the best of the three Thor movies for sure. Uh, I gotta, gotta see, see it. it. Yeah, I gotta, you gotta see, it. see it. Um but let's let's just start with uh, start talking about you know trilogies okay for instance indiana jones oh now that hit a high market number there three have right only there. been three of those movies ever that's true there's only george lucas three no more no less you know how you go back and delete stuff and change stuff and whatnot why don't you yeah. go back and just delete to the fourth and just pretend it didn't happen ever what um, fourth movie Anyway, Last Crusade. We've talked about this before, and I have said before, I, I think it's my favorite Indiana Jones movie for sure. I think so too, man. I love the first one a lot. I mean, Temple of Doom is obviously awesome, but I think that this is where the series really hit its stride in terms of the balance of action and story uh-huh. and special effects and all yeah. the cool historical stuff in there. I don't know. I, I That's one of those ones that I've seen a million fucking times and will watch a million more times. I love, I love that yeah. flick. Sean Connery's great in it. <laughs> it's yeah. a it's a weird role for him too because he's playing like a ne- like a nerdy uh, type of character. He does he doesn't get involved in the action Mm-mm. much at all. Like he he's more of an intellectual character. The pen is mightier than the sword, Junior. <laughs> <laughs> then I remembered my Charlemagne. <laughs> Shaver. And it was such a cool dynamic too, having him enter enter the, the the franchise at this point because at this point you know indiana jones had just been this fucking cool action hero kind of guy and then you're like yeah. oh wait he has a dad also his dad is fucking james bond so fuck mm-hmm. you you know <laughs> his dad is cooler than you yeah exactly far, man. Yeah. exactly so it was really cool <laughs> having that dynamic end of the movies yeah i'll watch that one a million times i think that's definitely my favorite of the indiana jones trilogy of which Uh there are only three and yeah and uh, like just talking about george lucas uh steven spielberg work um that like you can't you can't beat that combo at that moment like they they really were like the biggest thing in hollywood at that time and you know they they come out with this great movie with harrison ford and john connery it's amazing no doubt Um, man but also you know uh we have two star wars trilogies and uh you know i've said before i don't love return of the jedi i there it's not my favorite star wars movie Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. but it is it is a good it is a good i guess conclusion to the original trilogy yeah i remember when i was a kid really liking 
Oh well, yeah, um, it's that's really who it's aimed it at. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I think I loved all the all the fantastic, whiz, you know, whimsical creatures and yeah, all the crazy shit in there. So I remember liking it a lot back then. You go back and watch it now, and yeah, there's definitely moments that aren't glorious, but mm-hmm. it's still a pretty fucking badass movie that I really enjoy. It is. It is, and um, you know, I've. It's easy to complain about the Ewoks, but what I would say is, if you go back, you watch the original the first star wars they go to the moss eisley cantina and you see an infinite amount of strange alien creatures and they just don't even make any sense like it's just like what is this you're just trying to be quirky here yeah but then with ewoks we get to know an actual alien race that lives on this particular planet how they live etc that is pretty cool yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I do like that element of it. And the Ewoks actually are badass. You know, it's it's true. It's easy to give concessions to a lot of the early Star Wars stuff. But then, again, you also got to remember, New Hope, you had yeah. Aunt, Aunt Beru that was just wearing like 70s JCPenney clothes for some reason. Uh-huh. She's wearing denim. <laughs> she was. <laughs> there were robots that were just trash cans. Mm-hmm. They were there just was garbage a trash cans. can robot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, don't get me wrong, nerds. I fucking love yeah, oh, absolutely. the trilogy. There's some of the best things about being a human. But, you know, you got to give concessions to that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you what. I was really okay with the Ewoks until my main man, Phil, the source of all Star Wars nerd knowledge, he informed me that the original script was supposed to be a planet of fucking Wookiees. Yeah, yeah. The budget it, it, to to make that many Wookiee costumes would have cost too much. I guess so. But man, alive! Yeah. Could you imagine how fucking rad that would be, man? If you had fucking yeah, I, this whole planet of Wookiees tearing the arms <laughs> off of stormtroopers and stuff. Yes, it would have been fucking badass. And it, they tried to do it with the you know uh, Yoda going to the Wookiee planet. In uh, was that the third one? I guess uh, Revenge of the Sith. I think so. I assume. Um. And it was pretty cool seeing them fight, like, huge armies of Wookiees. It was pretty cool, but by the time you get to that part in the movie... I mean, some people love the prequels, and I don't I don't hate them. I think Attack of the Clones has some merit, and definitely Revenge of the Sith has that awesome fight scene in the lava and stuff Very like cool. that. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 was, it wasn't as cool as it would have been if, say, Return of the Jedi had been a planet full of Wookiees and fucking just bashing stormtroopers together and totally shit. dude <laughs> totally man well while we're on the subject of sith how do you how do you kind of rank the revenge of the sith what do you think about that flick i think it's got it's i think it's got yeah, it's, some major corny silly problems and stuff yeah. i think that the the turn of anakin skywalker to the dark side happens in about 30 seconds he just like comes yeah. out with fucking you know bags and shadows under his eyes and starts killing kids and it's like really that's all it took? Yeah. Well, it is an outrage, um, for <laughs> sure. I mean, the Senate just talks to him, and boom. Yeah. He is the Senate, that guy. Yeah. Um, But, okay. It, here's what I kind of learned on my last uh, watch through of, of all the movies, which I did a little before um, Rogue One came out. Okay. People, I, I think the thing that disappointed us about the prequel trilogy was that it made darth vader seem lame mm-hmm. i and then re-watching it before rogue one 
what I saw was Darth Vader is lame. Okay. He doesn't, the prequels didn't make him lame. He's a whiny, petulant child in the original trilogy. Okay. All the prequels did was show you what he was like when he was even younger and hmm. more petulant. <laughs> like, yeah. he's such a whiny, just like he, he doesn't, the authority that he carries is the mask he wears. True. And the fact that he can choke you from across the room. But he's not the man on the top of the totem pole. He's still no. taking orders from other dudes. He's still stuff. taking orders and he's still like he he's just like I don't know, just rewatch the trilogy and think of him as whiny and you'll start to see it come out. <laughs> you'll start to be like Oh I, I can wait. see some temper tantrums and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. temper tantrums, yeah, like just like general childish behavior, etc. Like so I, I think if you look back at the the trilogies and, and think of it that way, it's like, yeah, no, this works. <laughs> like <laughs> this is this is obvious. This was George Lucas's vision. Yeah. It, we just misinterpreted it because there was a cool mask over it. Wow, that's an interesting way to kind of look at it right there. Now that you point that out, that's interesting. I'm definitely gonna watch the original trilogy again with that in mind. Now, Ben. This one's going to be coming out of left field for you. You're not even going to know what I'm talking about. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh, fuck. That is the it number is, three, isn't it? It is number three. Easily it's the, the best. Easily. Easily. Absolutely the best. 100%. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, because the other, the, other, the other Lampoon movies, they got, some, they got some good moments in them. They have some quotable, uh -huh. funny stuff, but... It really, really, really fucking hit its stride with Christmas Vacation. One of the most infinitely watchable comedies of all time. Yeah, 100%. And it is, it is rare for a comedy to have a trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hangover did it, I guess. I've never seen two or three. Man, I haven't One either. was enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, eh, whatever. But it, it's, uh, it is... It's interesting because comedy seems like the place where you could have sequels that would would really bring out more because comedy like sitcoms can go back to the same characters for years and years and years always sunny in philadelphia is still great sure it's season 12 wow or season Jeez. 13 coming up i think holy shit um, it's still a great fucking show so you can mine comedic characters over and over and over it's just weird to me i i guess it's more of a risk um to rely on uh, a comedy sequel but i mean we had them and uh beverly hills cop is pretty much a comedy i mean it's action comedy but it's pretty much a comedy and uh two is good three is not lethal weapon has a good bit of comedy in it but again action i don't know but um the one i think is our best transition out of uh trilogy talk into nightmare on elm street is army of darkness Ooh, yes army of darkness comedy and horror right there um it's mostly comedic it's not in the least bit scary i don't think right it, yeah it kind of fits into horror in terms of it's gory it's very gory and it has it has scary things to look at it goes from evil dead starting off very sort of serious and mm -hmm. and and really frightening like gore and stuff uh, and hacking up your girlfriend and burying her or whatever 
And then Evil Dead 1 actually gets a little more comedic as it's just Bruce Campbell and then Evil Dead 2 is he's played up the comedy is played up a good bit and oh, then yeah. Army of Darkness is just comedy. Totally. They realized what a great comedic actor Bruce Campbell was by that point. Yeah. Uh, in Ash vs. the Evil Dead, by the way, if, if you haven't seen it, check it out. Great there's, show. There's something, and we mentioned this before, but I was talking the other day on the on the trip there with Dave about this, but to me there's always something so funny about seeing a classically handsome Hollywood hunk, like let's say a George Clooney or a John Hamm or a Bruce Campbell, uh-huh. acting like an idiot there's something about it that is so fucking funny when it's like oh yeah i don't i don't know it gets really really good to me john ham on 30 rock for sure oh my god so fucking hilarious. or kimmy schmidt karate karate, karate. Kimmy Sch- <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. so good man it's so good yeah. yeah dude army of darkness it has been way too fucking long since i watched that man it's one of those that's always on the shelf and like I think yeah. it always gets put on like during a party and then I get whisked away to do something else or something like that. So I never get to fucking watch it. But God, it's a great one, man. That's a good call. As I've said before, the story is basically the two towers. So as you said, if you've seen the two towers, uh, I throw some jokes in. You got evil dead. Booyah. <laughs> you know, before we move on to the movie, I want to throw a couple other my yeah, favorite please. number threes at you too and see what you think about them. So... Let's kind of keep it in the horror realm for a second. What do you think about a Halloween 3 season of a witch? Season of the witch. Um, <laughs> yeah, Such a Halloween weird 3. One. It's a real weird one, and it. I, I like that because John Carpenter wanted it to just be stories for Halloween, you know? Yeah. We talked about this on our Halloween episode. Um, Different he wanted movie it to just every be, year. Uh, yeah, different type of Halloween story every year. Um, and I think it's real interesting for his vision. I like the, I like the plot somehow involves, somehow involves uh, like Stonehenge. And, yeah, <laughs> and the commercialization of Halloween and stuff. Oh, and it plays that goddamn commercial so many times. And that commercial so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> so annoying, man. Eight more days till Halloween. <laughs> it's a but cool it, watch. It's a it weird a cool watch, fucking yeah. movie, man. There's it's a so very much, strange movie. So much weird stuff in there, especially if you're expecting another Mike Myers movie. I understand being super, super pissed about it because it was definitely a big flop among fans. But it's one of those that's kind of enjoyed a resurgence later on. If you're expecting life. a Mike Myers movie, you're gonna be very disappointed. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely so. <laughs> he's he's not in there at all. Speaking of other horror part. Threes. How do you feel about a Friday the Thirteenth Part Three in 3D? In 3D, um, it's it is. I mean, if Jason Takes Manhattan hadn't been made, it would probably be the worst in the series, right? You know <laughs> like, what, dude? I know a lot of people that are just totally over the moon about Part Three, but I kind of agree with you, man. I think that yeah. Three is a pretty cheap, kind of shitty movie. Like, it's yeah. okay. Don't get me wrong. I'll watch it any fucking time, but. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I'll watch any of the Friday the 13th movies anytime, even Jason Man- Takes Manhattan. Hell yeah, they're all a blast to watch, man. But, you yeah, know, part two is really awesome, and part four is really fucking awesome. Yeah. Part four is amazing. Part four is the one with Crispin 
Glover in it, right? Yeah, dude, and the, and the young <laughs> uh, fucking Corey Feldman. Yeah, Corey Feldman's in it. Uh, yeah, but Chris, Crispin Glover's dance. Oh, oh dude. it also has the Doublemint twins. Also in it. the Doublemint twins. True story, man. Part three just seemed like a whole bunch of like schlocky, cheesy ways to show off 3D. You know, like well, that's every 3D movie. Fuck, like every I know. 3D movie is I. Uh, I, I get, I never, I've never seen Avatar. Um, I, I saw some part of the ending of it and I was like, this seems like the dumbest movie ever. Dude, we should cover Avatar sometime as a wildcard episode because we should, I've heard from, I've heard from one of our loyal listeners, my wife, your wife, that her favorite episodes are the ones where you fucking hate the movie. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, well, that would be great. If That's we did Avatar, one. you would definitely hate fuck the shit out of that movie. That movie's Gosh, fucking terrible. We do, it's a piece we do of need shit. to do more terrible movies because honestly, I'll tell you this uh, for free. Um, I love hating a movie. Like, yeah, and, and like the things that it makes me think. Like the 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 my wife and I do this all the time, where we will sit and just fucking trash a movie. Yeah. While we're watching it, and the things that it does to me, I don't know why that rage is the greatest catalyst to creativity for me. Yeah, <laughs> like I just come up with uh, so many different ways to describe how hateful I feel. That's awesome. <laughs> well, I think there's also something about it too, where it's just like it should have been this fucking way, and that can be very inspiring. Oh my god, Final Destination could have been saved, maybe, but um, we've had we've had so many movies that could have easily been just tweaked a little and been a much better movie. Absolutely so, man. Well, let's move on to another franchise. Have you seen a Hellraiser three? Yeah, I have. I've seen Hellraiser three for sure. It's uh, it's got some weirdness to it. It starts a little interesting to me, but I don't know. It doesn't carry it the whole way through. What do you think about it? I think that I've watched it all of once. Um, I mentioned um, before there was a Halloween probably two or three years ago where I was just like, fuck it, I'll watch all the Hellraisers. So uh-huh. I watched all of them. And the moment that I clearly remember the most about part three is a part where um, Pinhead appears at a club and he kills a guy by throwing a CD into his head. Yeah. <laughs> now that I remember. That's awesome. <laughs> it was not awesome. It was very, very dumb. Yeah, it's so stupid because Pinhead's not a villain at all. <laughs> like, he's not supposed to be the villain. A CD would shatter much before it pierced your skull. I would hope so. That's, ri- that's ignorance. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's ignorant. You're being ignorant. <laughs> I said Final Destination earlier, and I just remembered Final Destination 3 is the one movie of the series that I think is genuinely a good movie. I remember you so, saying that, like it was actually yeah. pretty okay. Yeah. Well, I, I might be a little biased because I do love Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and like mm-hmm. anything she's in, I, I, I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she's great in it. But I. I feel out of all the Final Destination movies, it's the least convoluted and the one where it's most straightforward. These people cheated death. Death's going to kill them. We don't need to explain it anymore. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's kind of that's kind of what it needs, really, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Because they, they get lost in those other, uh, other ones where they're trying to explain why it's happening. It's like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, really, right? How do you feel about an Alien 3? That's a love it or leave it movie. Alien Cubed. It is. Um... I mean, it's real frustrating that the entire point of the second movie is uh, nullified at the beginning of the third 
Newt died. Hey, but but enough about Alien Covenant. <laughs> God, that movie yeah. sucked. <laughs> it, it is, I mean, Ripley's awesome. I mean, like, Sigourney Weaver's really good in Alien 3. Hell yeah. That That is, like, it's saving grace, I think. And the, the, the visual style's great because it's, uh, what's his name? Directed it. Yeah, Dave Fincher, isn't it? Dave Fincher, yeah. Visually, it looks great, but yeah, as a as a movie, it's it's not it's weird, awesome. man. Have you seen the director's cut? No, I haven't. It is the one that you need to watch. Like, really, oh, okay. rewatch it again. Watch that director's cut. It's a much more cohesive, less randomly slapped together movie. Because you watch that the theatrical cut, and it is very like how many different movies were culled together to make this? You know? Yeah. <laughs> were you? Did you guys not get to talk while you were making it? Yeah, really. Like, what's going on here? And the the director's cut's actually quite a lot cooler. It kind of plays up the like. Remember how there's kind of like those like religious aspects of the of the movie and stuff? Uh-huh. Yeah. It plays up that stuff a bit and I really like the whole like prison planet shit. That's pretty cool. It's a cool environment for an alien yeah. movie to take place in. Absolutely. The idea of a prison planet like you can't escape. Like that, that's entirely the point of it. Like being able to escape a prison and get to freedom is amazing to me. Like, I, I don't want prisoners to escape, but I also know there are a lot of people in prison that shouldn't be there. Uh, but, like, <laughs> that feeling, like, we've all seen Shawshank Redemption, that yeah. feeling of fucking freedom. Yeah. A prison planet just negates that. The only way you can escape is to somehow get a spaceship. That's true. What? That's pretty, that's pretty, pretty brutal when you get down to it. That's kind of like Australia, but bigger. Oh! <gasps> that's not a prison this is a prison tell me what you think about a matrix part three (laughs) (laughs) again more wild card stuff we got to do yeah yeah i love the matrix by the way the matrix uh revolutionized uh my my tiny young mind uh by the way it wasn't tiny and young at that point i was a teenager (laughs) but it it it, uh it blew my mind for sure and then I think with the second one, I was like, oh, okay. Like, where's this going? Yeah, they're trying to make it so big. They did. And by the third one, I was like, fuck this. Fuck this. No, not interested. Yeah. That third one is really bad. And just all those, like, super fucking on-the-nose Jesus analogies, like when fucking Neo, like, explodes into that cross of light and shit. It's like, really? Come on, yeah. man. I actually... I. I would say the one that we've missed for sure is Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Oh, shit. That's true. We got to mention that, man. That's a yeah. lot of people's fucking favorite part of yeah, the entire 100%. series. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it's it's a lot of people's favorite. My wife absolutely adores it. And um, uh, I remember I saw it before I'd ever read the books, and I thought it was terrible because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> No, if you haven't read the books. <laughs> totally agree. That's one of those things yeah. that always weirds me out. It's whenever I meet somebody who's like, yeah, the third movie's my favorite. And I'm like, okay, you've read the books, right? No. It's like, then. How? Please, How yeah. is it your favorite? Please explain to me what the third movie is fucking about. Same yeah. goes for like the sixth one, too. The sixth one without uh-huh. the book is really fucking hard to understand. But yeah. the, the third one, dude, like, 
I don't know, man. There's a lot to like about that third movie. Don't get me wrong. There is, and, yeah. Once you've read the books and watching it, it's like, oh yeah, the yeah. visual the visual style is amazing. Oh, I absolutely, absolutely love it. so, absolutely um, so. But, but man, alive, dude. Without the book, kind of telling you. Okay, like for example, the movie never even explains what the Shrieking Shack is. Yeah. It also never explains that Harry Potter's dad and his two friends were animagi that would turn into animals. Like it never yeah. fucking explains that in the movie. You're yeah, like, I was who the so fuck is Wormtail and Padfoot and Prongs? Like it literally yeah. never explains that in the fucking yeah. movie. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I remember being so confused by that movie. And then watching the fourth movie and being like, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. And uh, my wife absolutely hates the fourth movie because she had read the books. Right. I, after having, I already have positive feelings about Goblet of Fire. And then I read the books and I was like, I can overlook all the stuff they skipped over. Yeah, totally. I agree. It's but a fun I watch. get why people would be mad at it. But I feel like in a lot of ways, Azkaban is kind of like... To the Harry Potter series, what Dream Warriors was to the Elm Street yes. series, where the the tone got a lot darker in a lot yeah. of ways. Every Christopher Columbus, everything was gold, everything was shiny, yeah. like everything. Because I, I mean, that's it's a child's, but yeah, those first two, those first two are very much like children's books. Totally. Though the second one does get pretty dark with you know the Tom Riddle diary and stuff and everything oh, yeah. that happens to Jenny. But the third one is where it really darkens up in the books. And so, yeah, you got to do that with the film. And, and they did it perfectly. Yeah, totally so, man. Yeah, the third movie, I don't know. Again, it's like you said, the visual style is is so great. And the third book is easily one of my favorites. I mean, I think among, oh, yeah. among the book readers, the third one's kind of just about everybody's mm -hmm. favorite. And actually, yeah. we just started one of my favorite things in all of fucking reality, man, they've they've been doing those illustrated editions of the, of the Harry Potter uh -huh. books. Do you have any of them yet? No. God, Are they awesome? Damn. Have you ever picked any of them up? No. I haven't even seen them, no. Dude, they're the best goddamn things in the world. It's like a really big size, like, I don't know, it's probably like 12 by 12, like, square book. Uh-huh. And it has these beautiful, like, watercolor illustrations every couple pages of a character or a scene from the book or a location or whatever. Um, they're absolutely fucking awesome, dude. They're like, yeah, huge, it sounds great. Yeah. Th and they just released the third one a couple months ago. And we actually just started going through it. Cause as I mentioned, my, my wife, as she dictates uh -huh. the books to me. Yeah. That's a real cool thing that you guys do that. Uh, um, I have, my wife and I have talked about, we're like, uh, my wife, when she, cause my wife, uh, is a nurse. Uh, when she's off, she just wants to relax. Totally, man. Her days are hectic, and people treat her like shit. So I would imagine so. I man. get it, man. I get it. Well, the thing is, too, is you know, out here in the Tennessee, we're taking big old long car rides and shit like that all the yeah, time. But you guys aren't that's doing a, it over there. No, never. <laughs> I mean, so, sometimes we went to San Bernardino recently, and mm. I was like. San Bernardino is about an hour away, and it felt like the longest car ride I've been on in a long time. Wow, dude. Wow. Yeah, so we catch up on a lot of reading stuff then, but yeah, the illustrations in those those uh, illustrated editions, dude, they're just absolutely unbelievably beautiful, and they look like... Uh -huh. Like, whenever I watched the movies, I was like, wow, that's just how I imagined it. Uh, kind of, you know? <laughs> yeah. These, I'm like, wow, that's exactly how I imagined it. 
yeah i i've been wanting to reread the the harry potter books so i actually might have to check those out buy those that'll get me back into it pretty quickly i imagine i think that they're really made for like you know like parents to read with their children or whatever yeah. but i don't fucking care i'm like wow the pictures are pretty i like pretty pictures i like pretty pictures so yeah definitely get those sometimes yeah, the third movie in in series is oftentimes really interesting because you know mostly it tends to go that the first movie they're laying the groundwork out, the second one they're kind of exploring, trying to find something mm-hmm. else, much like Elm Street Two is. It's definitely yeah. reaching for some different things. Um, which I know a lot of people shit on Elm Street Two, but I love Elm Street Two. I think that's a cool flick. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about it. It's uh, it really like uh, it has its own vision mm-hmm. in a way that none because like. One is definitely Wes Craven's vision. Oh, yeah. Two is definitely not. Like, it's so far away from his vision. It's so completely different. And then three is completely different. And then everyone after that is just the same as three. Yeah, exactly. Or trying to be at least. So it's a, yeah. it's an interesting spot in the series for sure. And in this movie, we see a lot of things that are brought back from, um, especially part one, a little bit from part two. I'll get into that too as we go. Yeah. And... A lot of things that became kind of the norm in the series for the rest of that. Now, yeah. originally, whenever Wes Craven wrote the first one, he did not intend for this to be a series. He figured this was a mm. one-and-done kind of affair, and so that's why he didn't come back for the writing or anything of Part 2. But then, based on the gigantic success of Part 2, which actually eclipsed the success of Part Number 1... Uh-huh. Because people love, like, they wanted to see more. Yeah, exactly. New Line Cinema was able to get Wes Craven back in mm-hmm. to to write part three. And he wrote a treatment for it, and they were like, this is okay, but let's keep going with it. And they hired on, it's like, three additional writers, I guess, to finish well, up the movie. Um, yeah, he he had worked with uh, a novelist named Bruce Wagner mm-hmm. on on his idea, and they, they came up with a script that was very dark um and they talk about it in the uh by the way if you're an elm street fan and you haven't seen uh never sleep again the documentary it's uh it's five hours long and that sounds intimidating but it's it's broken down into each individual movie so you can watch just you know about part one and then come back to it later or whatever but i, I guarantee you i love you it. start watching it yeah you start watching it you're gonna be like no i i watched i will sit here for five hours if i have to because it's so like engrossing and really good but they I think talk I've about watch the whole thing maybe like two or three times yeah it's that good yeah yeah for sure i crystal uh what is it crystal lake memories is yeah. that the mm-hmm. the same same style same thing but they did for friday the 13th also great it's seven hours uh i've only watched that one once me too (laughs) but it's so fucking good um anyway uh bruce wagner and wes craven had this script and they they brought in young untested filmmakers frank darabont and chuck russell now uh, frank darabont is a name that probably stands out to any of our horror fans listening uh he he was uh heavily involved in the first few seasons of the walking dead Mm -hmm. but you also probably remember him from directing and writing the shawshank redemption that a little uh, the green mile and Mm -hmm. the mist along with writing a ton of other great things like the the dude is he does work uh, 
he does work but he at this point had done nothing like they basically had (laughs) done some short films he and chuck russell had been working together and um they came in with their vision for what the the series should be like for how to make a good third in horror series and they they took the script Wes Craven and Bruce Wagner had had worked out and they made it their own changed enough of it to get their name on the script basically but like um they they really it seems added vision to it and yeah. that's what i think this movie has is vision yeah that the other two didn't i think so and basically the premise of the movie is that Freddy is continuing his all-out assault on the children of the people who killed him by trying to Mm -hmm. attempt to murder the last of the Elm Street kids, the children of the people that burnt him alive in their dreams. And, of course, there's been this, like, rash of teen suicides and stuff going on around town. A long rash. Like, let's think about this. This is, okay, so we have to talk about, when we talk about Elm Street up to this point you have to talk about the timeline because Mm -hmm. the first elm street was actually it was released in 1984 but it's set in 1981 right the second is released in 1985 but it's set in 1986 oh geez yeah this movie is the first that sort of uh puts those two together it's released in 1987 it's set in 1987 but this is an alternate alternate 1987 where for six years in Springwood, there have been a rash of teen suicides and the only kids left, the only Elm Street kids left are these kids we see in Dream Warriors. Mm-hmm. Just imagine, like, uh, if you go forward to six, six is set in 1999, which is actually like nine years in the future. And in six, all of the kids in the uh, area are dead. So -hmm. this is not just like, Freddy's not just killing a few people. Freddy is fucking slaughtering children in the intervals when we're not seeing these movies. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's true, man. And also, even the the teen suicide thing was kind of a hot-button topic at this point in the 80s because there had been a rise of, like, real-life, you know, teen suicides and stuff going on. So it was kind of a relevant issue to dump into a horror flick, you know, marketed at at teens and youths and stuff like that. So that was kind of some real-world shit hitting the fan there, I guess. So this is a big thing in 80s movies, actually, though. We see a lot of teen suicide like think of like mm-hmm. the heathers and oh God, uh, yeah. stuff like that like a lot about teen suicide for sure so this does get into that like psychiatric aspect and what what Wes Craven said about this is that at this time in the 80s there were so many like advertisements for like you know uh, if your teen was rebellious or whatever send them to this center and they'll help you know, it's a psychiatric oh, like fucking boys town, which ended up being a rape yeah, exactly. Village. And and he was saying that like, and basically they were prisons. Yeah. So like, he wanted to show he wanted to show like how these places are prisons. Oh wow. For teenagers. Um, and so like, what we got here is kids that are suffering, and the solution to it is to imprison them and treat them as though they're hostile. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Uh, so th- that is one of the themes of this movie for sure. The theme being that like this psychiatric care is inadequate and not actually helpful. Right, right. And I like too working that suicide angle into the movie because of course in the original we had a lot of people that were being killed in their dreams and if you die in your dream you die in real life but in this movie the primary motive that we see is that Freddy is basically getting these people to kill themselves in their sleep like one of the first scenes we see is young Kirsty slash Christy depending on who you ask including herself (laughs) (laughs) being forced to like slash her own wrist which is a really grisly fucking scene in the movie I love the opening of this movie so much dude where it starts off with her um, doing the paper mache like house and stuff yeah dude played by old Patty Arquette yeah Patricia Arquette is in this this is her first major role and she screams a lot. That's kind of all she does is scream the whole movie. Apparently, apparently she was like really mortified to be on set and really super, super nervous and scared about acting and stuff. Yeah. Um, which is kind I of echoes it. of Johnny Depp in the first one, I guess, too. That was all the stories about him as well. Yeah. And yeah, that first scene, you got her making the Elm Street house and then you enter into her dream and you see that she's like trying to stay awake. She's fucking slamming, eating some coffee grounds and listening to Dawkins. That's my kind of lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chomping him grounds she really is and it, it, we get that same opening that you get from the first where you find out that basically the parents are not great <laughs> her mother is has brought home a man to mm. have sex with and is not interested in hearing her daughter's problems etc right and then of course when her daughter is she finds her daughter having slashed her own wrist she just you know is irritated more than actually care like right. she, she when she brings her into the facility she's talking about how she just wants attention or whatever and it's like well yes she does want attention that was pretty obvious but the suicide attempt probably less about attention right and more about wanting her life to end because it's terrible there's an interesting kind of duality too with that intro when you look at the first movie because with the first movie obviously it opens up with you know freddie making his iconic glove yep and this movie opens up with one of his would-be victims making something too of a Mm -hmm. freddie totem i think that's kind of an interesting yeah dynamic that you see between the two of those that's exactly like okay so this movie does this so well where what it is is that what we saw in the first is the 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 villain becoming strong mm-hmm. and becoming you know what he is what we see in the third one is how to counteract that uh-huh. is is we're we're seeing the birth of the anti freddy and of course i'm sure they would have went further with that if patricia arquette would have come back for a sequel totally but we're seeing the birth of the anti-freddy she's able she has this particular power to draw other people into her dreams Mm -hmm. and when that's combined with nancy heather langenkamp uh when that's combined with her knowledge of freddy um she's able to help her then train these other people all in one atmosphere one dream atmosphere to, to be able to fight Freddy. Now, if this movie had been some training montages of them in dreams beating the shit out of Freddy and like 
than them like taking hypnosil, which is something we have to talk about in a little bit, but mm-hmm. them taking hypnosil not to dream, like where they they basically work out a way to figure out to take him out. Mm-hmm. It would have been uh, less of a horror movie, more of an action movie, but it also would have been pretty cool. No but doubt. What, what they did do well is uh, a lot of people think Dr. Sims, who is the, the, the older psychiatrist who is constantly being like, okay, this is this is wrong we're not doing this or whatever yeah a lot yeah of people think of her as, yeah yeah a lot of people think of her as the villain in this hmm. but they're wrong yeah because she's reacting the way a normal person would react to being told that there is a dream demon killing children <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> which is to say no that's obviously not happening that's not real yeah she's just being rational about the whole thing really Right, and she has reservations about this drug called hypnosil. Now, this Mm. is important in this series, yeah, but it never gets drawn out enough. I know, like, there's so many ways to use that. Yeah, hypnosil is this experimental drug that makes you not dream. This Mm. isn't a real drug, it's made up for the movie. So, that got me thinking, why would that be invented? And why is it still experimental? Hmm. And my only thought is that it is a a solution to the teenage epidemic of committing suicide in their sleep. Okay. Because the teenagers are reporting these dreams. If the dreams go away, perhaps they'll stop committing suicide. Hmm. Okay. So the doctor in charge of this thinks this is a controversial drug because she doesn't believe that these teenagers are committing suicide because of their dreams because that is insane that's Mm -hmm. not a thing that happens in life that drug should have come back more and more in the series there should have been like some some development beyond this to the the way that they could use that drug to find a way to not dream for long enough to figure out how to actually get rid of freddy hmm but they never they never go back to it. I mean, That's I think true. they mention it. They mention it again in the future, and I think there's a particular company name attached to it. Yeah, they I'd mention like to it know in like Freddy vs. Jason some, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It does seem like there's kind of, you know, some rotting on the vine going on with that, that element. That seems like that's a very... That's kind of Freddy's kryptonite in a lot of ways, but nobody really utilizes it, do they? Yeah. I, I mean... I understand because it seems like a god killer. Like when you, mm-hmm. like when you bring in something like that, it's 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 Freddy's kryptonite, you know. Um, and the the joy of the movies is watching Freddy succeed. It's not watching Freddy get beaten. So oh, I can see like why you see get rid of it. Where everybody is on that and stuff, but the the side effects are like really bad. Like everybody's yeah. like really badly constipated the whole movie. <laughs> They're like, man, this is just fucking killing me. Yeah, I, w- I would have loved to see more about it. Like, because why is it so controversial? Is it just controversial because it's like, well, obviously these kids aren't committing suicide because of their dreams, or is it controversial because there are weird side effects to it? And yeah. it would be. You do need to dream for some reason. We don't know why, but yeah. you need to. Um, it, it definitely is is part of a healthy night's sleep. 
I really wish they would have brought back that dream doctor from the first one with his like little picture of the kitten on the San Francisco trolley car. <laughs> the guy who was like, we don't even understand any of this shit. Look, here's a dream. I don't get it. Yeah, Roger Rabbit. That's Yeah, he was, Roger Rabbit. By the way, he was in uh, Demon Knight. True. He was the mailman. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Just did that last week. Um, but yeah, like there, there was so much here like where it was obvious Frank Darabont and, and, and Chuck... Uh, Russell? Russell, Chuck Russell, yeah. um, were trying to set up further sequels. Yeah, they were. Yeah. They were saying like, and it's obvious like this is what you would want as a production company. Wes Craven didn't want a sequel, so he has this sort of, you know, he he tried to end it cleanly, and Bob Shea wanted a different ending. That's why the first one ends weird. Yeah, and then Wes Craven didn't want a sequel, so they 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 need the money. New Line is is basically you know uh running on fumes at that point because they're that's all they've had like they had nothing up until nightmare and so they need a sequel to come out so they can make other movies so they they go with a sequel and the sequel is no not exactly connected well to the first even though we both enjoy it yeah but with the third what you get is these guys with a vision for future sequels they want to lay out a way to make this keep happening so you can keep getting money from it and they they do it in a way that's entertaining and interesting it's fucking perfect no doubt man now one fixture through this whole movie that i both really enjoy and i'm also just really i don't know curious about in a lot of ways is the returning image and locale of of the elm street house that we know of course from, Uh from the first movie and stuff nancy's house yeah, and it's something that uh, again Kirsten slash Kirsten is having dreams about <laughs> and making this paper mache house of and all this stuff. And then in her dreams, she's back in the house and it's all rotten and decrepit and stuff. And the yeah, and there's a there's a, a rotten pig. Yeah, dude, and all the, the fucking table. like bodies hanging and all that shit in there. Yeah, that was a real rotten pig, by the way. Oh yeah, this is so fucking gross. Yeah, because they didn't have the budget to make a full animatronic pig, so they they rotted an actual pig and then just puppeteered it. Ugh, man. Whatever that guy got paid, he did not get paid enough. Not get paid enough, yeah. (laughs) To do that, man. Yeah, they said the the smell and stuff on set was just unbearably disgusting. Uh, Yeah, I would believe that. Um, I really love that imagery, though. The house itself is all decrepit and fallen down and nasty and, like, shitty haunted house looking and stuff. And, uh... I think it's like really, really, really fucking iconic, even though there is stuff about it that doesn't make sense. Um, even down to like all the all the bodies in there that are hanging by nooses. Why? Like Freddy yeah. didn't kill people by hanging them. He fucking killed them with his razor claws and stuff, I guess. Uh, yeah, or I mean, as we learn in this, he has creative ways to kill. Um, I Yeah, I don't know. Maybe... You know, because he, Freddy does that stuff in dreams just to scare, because as we talked about in the first one, yeah, that he gets off on the fear. That's okay. Yeah, that's true. Why, that's true. It's why he invented the, the glove is to scare the kids that he was going to kill. Right, right. But yeah. I do also wonder, too, why the, why the fetishization of that house? Because that's also something that we had in number two as well. Yeah. It's like, oh, they moved into the old Elm Street house. It's like, it's not like... That wasn't ever Freddy's house. Freddy wasn't no. killed in there. Freddy didn't ever kill in there. Is mm. it just because Nancy is the one that like 
banished him and that was her house? Like, what is with the idolization of the Elm Street house? Maybe it was because the glove was there. See, that's like, the closest thing that I was thinking, yeah. but they never they never played that up. They never played that up like, oh, his fucking Horcrux is down there <laughs> in the cellar. You know, like that would have been yeah. a really easy way to do it. And, you know, it's the kind of thing, too, where in this movie, one of the pivotal things is that nice guy Bill Maher, the guy that looks like Bill Maher if he was a nice person, Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what he looks like. I didn't even think of that until totally. you just said it. Yep, he's he's nice guy, Bill Maher. Exactly, and he doesn't think he can say the N word. Exactly, exactly. Unlike real, probably not nice guy, Bill Maher. <laughs> uh, her and Nancy's dad have to go and like find Freddy's skeleton and shit, right? And bury it in hollowed ground to like set his spirit to rest. It would have been so easy if it was like, no, 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 it's because the glove is down in the cellar of this yeah. old decrepit house. That would have like been the Myers it. house. You like, need to destroy the glove. Yeah. yeah, like, dude, that would have been so fucking easy to me as far as, like, why is the house, this relic, this idol, this source of power in so many ways, how can we come back to the house? Easy. It's because the glove's down in the basement of the house. Maybe it's been foreclosed or whatever, and it's yeah. fallen down, but they have to go in there and get it and retrieve it and destroy it or something. That, I think, would have been a much easier and much more clever thing than, well, it's in this junkyard in the trunk of a car for literally no reason, and you have to battle a Ray Harryhausen skeleton to defeat it. Like, uh, Is that not kind of a stretch compared to the idea that I just it put is, out? It is. It is. I mean, Chuck Russell, though, did say in Never Sleep Again that he he and Frank Darabont were big fans of Ray Harringhouse. Oh, and, obviously, and they, yeah. they, they wanted that skeleton fight scene, so I guess that's... But they could have just had that happen in the basement of the house. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly, man. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying, dude. And this is kind of like... I kind of feel like this is my, like, leave Britney alone moment. Leave her alone. Where I'm like... I'm like Lee Freddy's revenge alone, um, because the the problem that a lot of people had with Freddy's revenge part two, uh-huh. is oh my god, dude, Freddy can't interact with the physical world. What the fuck is he doing showing up at this pool party and stuff like this? Uh-huh. That, that's the big complaint. And it's like, dude, in part three, which is most people's fucking favorite. He appears as an animated skeleton in real life, not in yeah. a dream. That's not in a dream. That's in real life. He he comes to life as an animated skeleton and fights a police officer and nice guy Bill Maher. What the fuck? Come on. Also, 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 in part one, he totally interacts with the physical world and draws those sheets around Rod's neck. Yeah. And she pulls him into the physical world. Yeah. All he does is interact with the physical world. I know. Come on. That's the number one complaint I hear about part two is like, oh, man, this is whack. Freddy's not in the dream world. And it's like um, he's not in lots of other favorites of the series, and you know, namely part one and part three. What the fuck yeah. are you complaining about, man? <laughs> I don't get I, it. I don't either. Um, this movie, by the way, I mean, uh, you know, we don't want to get away from our theme for the month. This is Black History Month. We wanted to do movies where the black character survives. True. Um, and this movie has two black characters. Uh, we have Kincaid, who is one of the dream warriors, and we have Lawrence Fishburne, who plays an orderly. And it's insane because it's like that's Morpheus, and he has just 
a tiny bit part in this. Dude, <laughs> and also, he's a fucking goddamn hunk in this movie. Yeah. Oh, he's... Uh, yeah, and he's Holy walking shit. with... He walks with such swagger. Like, when he comes yeah. in the first time, and just like, what the fuck? Dude, right. there's no way I could look that fucking confident and in control wearing scrubs. That guy no looks way. like he knows what the fuck is up. Yeah. Um, and they both survived this movie, by the way, which yeah. is... Um, but I actually kind of wanted to talk a little bit quickly just about the trope of the black character doesn't survive the horror movie. Yeah. Um, Complex did an article in 2013 where they they looked at 50 movies where one of the main characters is is black. Okay. And what they found is one that in only only five of the 50 did the black character die first. And mm. in the majority of them, the the it, the way to put this would be the percentage of black characters dying in horror movie is the same as the percentage of white characters dying. Everybody dies in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, the actual problem is the lack of representation. There are so few mm-hmm. black characters in horror movies. If we had more black characters in horror movies, we're obviously going to have more black characters that die because that's how horror movies work. But what that trope is really about is actually, if you look at movies outside of the horror genre, the black character dies first more often. That's true. Yeah, that's true. If you look at your average Michael Bay big action movie and yeah. so on. Yeah, it's it's not so horror is not the problem. Hmm. Yeah, but somehow that is kind of the horror trope, isn't it? Is that yeah. the black guy dies first? But yeah, yeah like I mean, uh, LL Cool J says something about it in Deep Blue Sea. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember uh, uh, T Dog in uh, the first or second season of Walking Dead said something like, "I'm the only black guy here. I'm not going into there or whatever." Like, yeah, um, like it it, it is a. It's like a this well-known thing that actually, when you investigate it, it's like, well, no, that's not the problem. The problem is there's just not enough, not enough black characters in horror movies because seriously, you have to, you look through all the movies and all you can find is 50, 50 horror movies with black, uh, main black characters in it. Like, that's so insane. There's, there's so many horror movies and only 50 with main black characters and it's it's wow so the main problem is representation it's not dying first but or you know in in this case though just like last week i mean you know uh there were two black characters in demon knight one survived in mm-hmm. this case both black characters survive and both are strong black characters like they're not they're not these weak characters playing service roles or anything kincaid like he has the best i think monologue sort of moment in this movie when he's like no fuck that like he's just like going off about how they're uh you know um gonna put him in a, a room and, and and sedate him and he's like oh, no yeah. fuck that like he's just going crazy about it and then um also uh Lawrence Fishburne I can't remember the name of the character but he has that great conversation with Nancy where he's talking about how he's lost so many of his kids and you mm-hmm. see like oh he cares about it like he's really working hard and cares about these kids like he's a strong character throughout this so Nightmare 3 has, like Nightmare 2 is the gayest horror movie of all time as we yeah. talked about. Mm-hmm. Nightmare 3 is a horror movie where you got two good strong black characters. Their blackness, their color is not even mentioned throughout the movie. 
totally. and they survive the movie. It's yeah. amazing. I'd like to talk a little bit about the the cast of kids themselves in this flick because obviously it's kind of uh-huh. the main attraction. Is a lot of a lot of young actors, yeah, yeah, exactly. And basically, what they managed to do by putting you know the, this bunch of different kids that are all struggling with their suicidal dreams and so on into this uh, mental institution, they basically found a way to put the Breakfast Club into a horror movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which exactly. is which is so perfect uh-huh. for for this era for this time in movie making to do that because there's no reason that if this was just set in like a high school like the first one none of these kids would be hanging out with each other like oh that, no way yeah the nerdy kid for sure would not be hanging out with anybody yeah or the punk girl or anything like that mm-hmm. it's like the first movie was just set in a high school and. They were basically all pretty normal Friends. kids just yeah. hanging out. Yeah, like maybe the one exception is Rod, who is kind of sketchy. Yeah. Who has a switchblade, and we all know what that means. Yeah, bad guy with the with the flick knife there. But mm-hmm. otherwise, it's like, honestly, try to explain the difference between, like, Tina and Nancy. It's like, I don't know. They're just both kind of normal girls. Mm-hmm. Um, but by putting the kids in this situation, much like the Breakfast Club being set in, you know, in-school detention and stuff there... You were mm-hmm. able to get all these different characters of different dynamics and different backgrounds and stuff together in one room. And that would become, I think, kind of a forced staple of the of the remainder of the Elm Street yeah. flicks. Where it's just like, well, let's have a bunch of different types of people get together. Mm-hmm. And um, I, don't, I don't know, but this movie managed to do it in a way that made sense and was pretty clear. And we, we gathered together a bunch of different kids. We got... We've got Kirsten slash Kirsten. Again, I keep saying that Sass because... Kristen also. Yeah, dude, like, everybody fucking fucks her name up the entire movie. Like, in the yeah. in the subtitles, whenever you watch the movie with subtitles, she's, she's listed always as Kristen. Yeah, because that's the, the name that they decided to go with, but the original script had Kirsten, which can also be pronounced Kirsten. Yeah, and yeah. like at the very first of the movie, when she's in her dream and the like little girl in the dream asks her what her name is, she says Kirsten. Yeah, and then <laughs> later on, everybody's calling her Kristen. Yeah, but then in that scene where you said her mom, you remember you said her mom like takes her to the mental institution. She's like, oh, uh-huh. she just wants attention. She's like, oh, that Kirsten, yada yada yada. <laughs> like her own mom doesn't know her fucking name. <laughs> God, yeah. dude. So she she basically you know that's old Patty Patty Arquette that pay that plays kind of an introverted yeah um, she's girl really with... she's really good in parts of this like a yeah, lot of true. what she has to do is is just scream apparently which actually gets very irritating at points yeah, but a lot of screaming like I I think even though the line isn't great at the end when uh, Nancy is dead and she's holding her and. She says, like, I, I'll I dream you into here. a beautiful dream. I mean, I'm a, yeah, I'm going to dream you into a beautiful dream forever and ever. It's a shitty line, but she delivers it so she well. She sells and it, yeah. Yeah. She, she's, like, really, like, the, she, she makes these good, like, I say good, like, she makes these very convincing sort of sobs that are, yeah. like, it's, it's very obvious she's, she's, she's going through some actual, like loss in her head or some actual like devastating time she's had she's really into it uh, so you see why like 
you, you could watch this movie and go, oh, well, that's obviously fucking Patricia Arquette because yeah. she she's great. Uh, but she doesn't have she doesn't have a lot throughout. Right. Like there's even times where I thought like how much time was Patricia Arquette on set with everyone else? Because like when they have the first, you know, dream uh, symposium where they all get together and dream. <laughs> Like, she's not even in any of the shots where they're all going around and talking. It wow, just shows yeah. a leg that's probably an extra. Hmm. It's not until they get to the actual dream part that she she shows up. So, like, I feel like at times she wasn't even on set. But I, I'm just thinking maybe I think that because I'm like, that's fucking Patricia Arquette. She didn't need to be. Uh, she probably was. She, it was her first major role. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. Well, with the kids themselves, we also got to talk about their their individual dream powers. And like you said, her power uh-huh. is to draw people into her dreams, but also flips. She flips. Also gymnastics. Yeah. That's, I don't that's know. A lame man. Power. That's a pretty fucking lame power. <laughs> also the like, kids, the Elm street kids all have dream powers because reasons. Oh yeah. Reasons. I mean, you got to think about them. Um, so th- this is a major issue with this movie is that, only one of them, and, and I'm guessing maybe it has to do with your level of creativity or something. Okay. Only one of them realizes, oh, I can do whatever? Well, magic. Yeah. Like, because, <laughs> like, Kincaid is like, I'm super strong. And, yeah. like, okay, okay. Like, I don't know how that helps. He's got a knife hand. Um, <laughs> And then, like, flips, of course. And then, you know, beautiful and bad is Taryn. Oh my god. By dude. the way, does look pretty dope. I mean, I'm into she punk does chick, look so cool. yeah, totally. Yeah, she so. looks cool, but that line was stupid. I'm so beautiful. Bad. And so bad. bad. Yeah. So she has knives. That's actually a little bit helpful. She's um, got double flick knives, but they're also like the tiniest little switchblades ever. Are they really that effective? They really are. They're really dainty. Um and then what's his name? The guy who can't talk is that Joey? That is Joey, Joey the mute. He just has the ability to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, when when he does use his power near the end, we find out he's Black Bolt from the Inhumans because when he, he does talk, it shatters everything. Oh, like, you mean Banshee from the X-Men? Oh, uh, well. <laughs> God, Marvel and DC were always just ripping each other off. Well, no, no, Black fuck. Bolt is, is, is also Marvel. Just less popular. Oh, well, fuck me then. Never mind. Well, I mean, I, it's understandable. <laughs> Moving it's an on. understandable mistake. Um, <laughs> anyway, like, uh, so their their powers, it seems like some of them realized, like, I could do whatever I want, and others were like, eh, not really. I don't know. Like, I flip or something? Yeah. Because, like, Taryn, even Taryn, you know, in real life, she's just kind of a kind of grungy girl that wears flannel shirts and is a uh-huh. re- recovering addict and stuff. Uh-huh. But, yeah, her, her dream power just seems more like an outfit. Her dream power is an outfit and switchblades, yeah. That's, yeah. And maybe, like, again, maybe it does have to do with the level of creativity because we did see, like, I mean, I don't know how much the writers would have thought this out, but the D, a D&D dungeon master is going to be one of your more creative people. So, Hell like, yeah, you're talking about motherfucking Will, who yeah. is young Stephen King. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> In a wheelchair. Uh and that's the thing too, man. That guy, that guy gets two bites at the apple. What's your dream power? I'm not paralyzed anymore. Also, 
I choose to be a wizard. It's like, no, 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 you get one, man. Okay, I'm a wizard who can make me not paralyzed anymore. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of, that's like, what do you wish for? I wish for three more wishes. Come on, it's not fun. I mean, it's economical, though. I also really like that in his dream, whenever he becomes the fucking wizard master, like, the cloak that, like, jumps up on him... It looks like one of those things when you're like down by the seaside and you just kind of put your head through the hole of like a strong man or a a woman in a petticoat like that it coat really thing because <laughs> it's like so too big for him, man. Yeah, that guy is like in the 80s. I think bullies had a picture of him up on their wall. They yeah. would just be like, God, if I could only find you. He was the center of many a bullseye on a dartboard for sure. Uh huh. And, and if you if you see um, Never Sleep Again, he's in it, and you'll find out that is his actual voice, and he still sounds like that. Absolutely so, man. Absolutely uh-huh. also, so. Also, speaking though of people with voices, King Cade, King Cade is supposed to be this like badass tough man. And he's got this delicate little voice that I love so much. He sounds like uh, high-strung Ron Funches. I don't know if you know who Ron Funches is, but he's the cuddly teddy bear of a man, uh, stand-up comedian who's just... He's got this voice. I don't know how... Like, I don't know how to to do it like it's a little high but it's yeah. a little calm yeah, but <laughs> that sounds like Kincaid it, yeah and that's exactly it Kincaid is that but not calm he's high and like ah man fuck this yeah um, it's kind of got that like L's come out his W's thing a little bit too yes and he like um, the actor who played Kincaid I can't remember his name but he, he talks about how like when he read the description of the character he's like well that's not me <laughs> <laughs> but his agent encouraged him to go for it anyway, and uh, the apparently the people who were running the audition showed up late, and he was genuinely mad. Yeah, he had to like fucking hop two trains and run through the rain. Like he had uh-huh. a really bad time getting. He was to the like audition. genuinely mad, waiting for them. And when he went in, the the director Chuck Russell said, "You know, do do whatever you want." And what he did was the fuck this man scene. Yeah. He was like, man, fuck you. He went off yeah, on him. Yeah, fuck you. He just went off on him. <laughs> Which is awesome. It's fucking awesome, man. It's perfect. Yeah, that's exactly... I mean, I understand. By, by the way, if you're running an audition and you want to find the person who's going to be able to bring mad to the role, Maybe show try up that. a little late. Yeah. yeah, like, show up a little late. Make them mad and see if they actually can do it. Now, one of the things that this introduces, too, with these characters being so entrenched in their personas, in their personalities, as the drug addict, the TV star, and and so on, the, the yeah. guy that makes marionettes, and so on, uh-huh. is it introduces what I refer to as the new Freddy formula. Now, yeah. this is something that, you know, if you go back and watch the first movie... The kids just fucking get killed. It's not really necessarily yeah, in, in any kind of themed. No, to he their just chases character. them around the neighborhood or his boi- boiler room or yeah, whatever. Exactly. Or if they're a guy, he just kills them, and we don't know what happened in the dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. And in the second one, again, not really very themed, unless you count maybe maybe the gym teacher death. Actually, I think. Oh might yeah, because very... it was in the shower. Yeah. Uh huh. And he was he, he was into S and M, and he gets killed like. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's you know what? Fuck, we might have just found the origin of all this shit. 
Yeah, somebody watched that and they were like, they should all be like that. Yeah, exactly. Because actually, like people always talk about with the third one here, there's like, oh, there's no carryover from the second one. They act like the second one didn't happen, which isn't necessarily is. true. Yeah, now that we're there looking at this, at this theme death, and then also too, uh-huh. there's that scene where, um, in, in Elm Street two. They really play up the boiler room power. They play up that uh-huh. heat and fire is a signature of Freddy's. And yes. in this one, they have like the melting tricycle. That's very Freddy's Revenge, if you ask me. Also, when we first we first see Freddy in this movie, mm-hmm. is he is the marionette puppet. Yeah. I caught this on my my recent watch through. I caught his his hand has the uh claws coming out of the end he doesn't have the glove oh out of the fingers really and and i was like oh my god because it was one of the things we talked about with the second one is that basically one of the ideas of the second one is that he's puppeting this guy to do his murders so this is a callback to that in the second one he doesn't wear the glove he has just the claws coming out of his fingers and they show that first, and then he transitions into regular old Freddy with the glove. Interesting. So there is like a there is a sort of smooth transition from the second one. And he literally turns that guy into a marionette. Yes, exactly. And by the way, that's I mean, Dude, it, I just want to talk about the deaths in a second because I yeah, know that got exactly bad. What we need I to know talk that about. got bad to you right there. But yeah. this new Freddy formula I'm talking about is how. You have characters that expose their weakness to the viewers and stuff, and that becomes their inevitable end in their nightmare. That is the formula that that will be followed for all subsequent Elm Street Uh movies. And that's something that's introduced here is that, you know, well, the girl that wants to become an actress gets her head slammed through a TV. You know, it's all very... The drug addict gets fucking OD'd in her dream. I think what... Okay, so Wes Craven in the first one, he wanted to focus on the elements of nightmares we all have yeah which you is know the, very cool yeah like you run and you're going slower than you think or whatever Changing or things are distorted etc yeah yeah all that he wanted that what this movie does is says well yeah we all have common elements in our nightmares but we all have different nightmares and they're all personally like curtailed Specific, to us yeah yeah so this one goes into the specificity of it and i think like what we see because we know in this one freddie talks about the more souls he gets the more powerful he gets what we're seeing is that in the first one he wasn't as powerful he wasn't capable of making the dreams uh specific to each Mm, one of them mm, interesting he was only capable of bringing them into his nightmare realm Mm. Uh, and so in this one, he is now much more powerful, and he's able to do that. That's cool. So basically, you're saying it's because his powers have expanded that he's able to, yeah, construct these people's dreams around their own specific fears. That you know what? That's actually pretty plausible when you put it that way. Yeah. That that does make sense. I I I really do like like we're we're not to the point where we're giving a rating, but I I have to say this is my. I, I now believe my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie, mm. even though I don't think it's the best. Right, I understand, I, yeah. I think it is my favorite because it is a real, like, it's a real movie's movie. Yeah. It's a type of movie that makes you want to see more. Yeah, and totally. that's exactly what they were going for, and it's exactly what they got. It's perfect. It's like, I want to see Freddy kill people in other interesting ways. No <laughs> like, doubt, man. 
And this movie, too, adding to the new Freddy formula, is also where we start getting a Freddy that is a little quippier. Like, part one, uh-huh. he's yep. nothing but sinister and mysterious. Part two, also, again, very in the shadows, very mysterious and stuff. Uh-huh. And this one is where we start getting a few We get a few some puns. Quips. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he's still pretty dark and pretty menacing through most of the flick, but... You know, welcome to primetime, bitch, and yeah, stuff um, like that. that. What a by rush! The way, that, you know, as far as I understand, that is what you said to your wife as as your vows when you guys got married. Yeah, welcome you to said prime welcome time, to primetime, bitch. bitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and everybody was <laughs> like, "Oh, so sweet." Um, <laughs> yeah, like this. First off, introduces him calling uh, women bitch, which yeah, is, all the uh, time all the time he does it twice in this um it he also like he he becomes funnier like he's and that's exactly what you need because that is like robert england can do the menace but he is also funny so Mm -hmm. like it's exactly what you need you need to bring out that in his character and it it, god it he his jokes are dad jokes a lot total dad jokes they're just all dead yeah yeah, All but day. he he just presents them with such confidence that you're just like, man, I like Freddy. <laughs> I know, and like the jokes in this aren't as fucking silly as what we're gonna get in four and five and six, where he becomes basically oh, like a fucking Bugs gets, Bunny by the time six yeah. gets there. Um, they're still kind of kind of dark in a way. Uh, a lot of times, whenever he quips in this one, but yeah, it kind of introduced a little bit of humor into this mm-hmm. menacing character, but there's still also parts of this that I think are some of the more scary, intense, menacing Freddy moments. Like, even that part where it's in um, Kirsten's dream and she's being eaten by Freddy Snake. Yeah. I mean, first of all, that Freddy Snake effect is bad as that fuck. Is. Oh, my they God. Filmed that, they filmed that in reverse, by the way. They had oh, her rad. get all the way in it, and then basically they started pulling it away from her oh. and then show show it, you know, as though it's going the other way. And it looks perfect. It looks so good. It looks, It does. It looks really frightening. And that the the face is really well articulated. Oh man, it's amazing! It's an amazing some, prop. Does some real good, uh, some facial expressions there. Where once he sees Nancy, he's just he gives her the stink eye, and then he's just like, "You." Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Like that's really sinister to me that uh-huh. he would choose just to terrorize this girl by appearing as this giant snake thing and busting through the walls and all this stuff. But then, yeah, he sees the girl who fucking vanquished him before, and he. He gets pissed, and he's like, oh, it's you and stuff. He's got some really awesome, sinister, dark moments mm-hmm. in this that I do really, really, really like, and I, I do wish we would have seen more of in the sequels. I, um, uh, like, we just, we talked about the Welcome to Primetime, bitch, but we need to talk about Robert England a little bit. That mm-hmm. that was a that was an improvised line. Oh, Yeah. The original line was something like, uh, this is how you make it in TV or well, he something. Said, like, Here's your big break or welcome to your big break. Here's your big is, break, yeah. yeah, I think. But uh Robert Robert England said it just didn't come it just didn't fit in his mouth, which is something I completely understand. Mm-hmm. Like where you read a line and you're like, That's not how a person sounds, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Um and, and he he came up with welcome to prime time bitch. 
which is I think a definitive Freddy line like that's the thing you would really think of when you think of Freddy is him saying something exactly like that yeah and he from the beginning like we talked about it in the first one with the way he like carried the glove like he was an old west like gunslinger yeah yeah it's heavy on that side and shit he made this series like that's the thing about the second one that like if you watch it and you hate it you've still probably seen all mm-hmm. the others yeah totally like you don't stop there because you still are like i like freddy i yeah. like freddy i like a child murderer yeah he makes a <laughs> child murderer likable it's fucking amazing such a great performance yeah, that's very, very true in a lot of ways, man. He's He does have a super charismatic power about his role as as, as Freddy, for sure, man. Yeah. Um. Okay, so there is one particular part about that scene also, the TV scene, is that Dick Cavett is interviewing Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh, yeah. And Dick, Dick Cavett uh, agreed to be in the movie if... It, only if he could uh, choose who he got to interview and he chose Jaja Gabor because he thought she was so stupid she is the person he would most want to see killed by Freddy Krueger oh shit for real <laughs> yes cold he, he hated Jaja Gabor <laughs> that is awesome man yeah um real really funny that like just that small little bit of this movie was dick cavett's revenge on jaja gabor for being famous <laughs> damn dude and you know another part of the of the freddy formula that gets added to this that's repeated over and over and over is that um kind of as we said when freddy appears as like the snake or when freddy appears as the sink handles that you know uh kill Kristen and stuff it's like this idea that in dreams Freddy can morph himself into any environment, yeah. into anything. This is something that we see over and over and over and over and over again in the sequels with him morphing into a motorcycle and, and so on. And a lot yeah. of people credit this movie with creating that facet of the character. But again, if, if you go back to part one, it's all right there. He turns into a phone and you know, yeah. licks Nancy's mouth. He also turns into a car at the end of the movie. It's like Freddy morphing into stuff is not something that was introduced in this movie at all. But that no. becomes a huge hallmark of the character. He does become more solidified here as basically the Shadow King character from the X-Men. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Like he becomes solidified in that, in that the realm is basically all of it is him. Like, when you're in that nightmare realm, he can control all of it because it is all him. Yeah, even even in that scene where they're in uh, one of the rooms in their dream uh, symposium, like you are talking about, and the room that they're in starts to like, change and the walls are closing in. It kind of reminds mm-hmm. you of like the trash compactor scene in A New yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that scene in this movie so much. And then it ends because Sims opens the door, and it's just the door to the real world. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all just laying there. Like, it is it is such a good um, correlation to, to, to look at how, what they're experiencing in the nightmare realm and what's actually happening to them in the real world. To mm-hmm. look at those two things and see they're just laying there. If, like, that solidifies what Nancy's saying. If Sims could have seen that, if she could have seen that they were actually in a nightmare realm, 
she would have been more convinced but actually what happens is she just sees them all passed out from being hypnotized like right so to her it further solidifies i gotta stop this madness this is insane yeah no doubt man no doubt now one thing we got to mention about this movie and i can't even believe that we've been sitting here talking about this long and haven't mentioned the motherfucking Dawkins soundtrack because <laughs> come on it's so fucking awesome Hell that they yeah. did this what like okay first off the uh the the score of the film is Angelo Badalamente who is awesome he he did Twin Peaks he did he does most of David Lynch's movies Yeah I was going to say big David Lynch collaborator Yeah but then uh, tons of Dawkins and <laughs> and docking t-shirts and stuff yeah awesome. you even you even get this is the first of its kind a a music video attached to a movie they did a music video with patricia arquette and robert england um and you got okay listen i will post a link to this for for the listeners but you got to check out this interview where uh, members of Dokken are talking about it and they say that they were snorting coke off of Robert England's uh, <laughs> Freddy glove. No way. The whole time. What? Like, the whole time. It, like, so that God, video, that when you see it, they are fucking coked out of their heads and Freddy, in full makeup, wearing the glove, was snorting coke with them. <laughs> Is there anything more metal than snorting coke off of Freddy Krueger's Freddy Krueger. Yes, God it's amazing. Damn, man. Oh, that would be the best. <laughs> I I am just blown away by that. Some uh, a a listener sent uh like just mentioned it on Instagram and I had to go check it out and I, I read the interview and it's hilarious. So check it out. I'll, I'll put up a link. Now, the hallmark of this movie, and again, what would become the hallmark of all subsequent films, is all of those super gory, brutal death scenes and stuff of, of these yeah. kids. Which, like I said, this is the movie that introduces the theme death element, where people mm -hmm. get killed by their own worst fears and so on. And there are some fucking awesome kills in this flick, including what I think is probably the most brutal kill in the entire Elm Street franchise, which is, which is? our man Phil, who is the puppeteer uh -huh. sleepwalker guy. Jesus Christ. Okay, so... Dude, Freddy, like, wakes him up. You know, he he, he transforms <sighs> one of his, like, God. marionettes into this cool little stop-motion thing, which, like, yeah, I hear, it's I hear really people cool. criticize. They're like, oh, man, stop-motion is just fucking corny. It took me out of it. It's like, dude, it's a dream, Anything yeah. goes. That's the cool thing about when you're dealing with dreams is like anything goes with it. You can do these special effects that don't really look real because yeah. it's not real. Come on. Yeah, none of it's actually happening. It's a dream. And Freddy stands up at the foot of his bed and slashes open oh. his fucking wrists and his shins oh. and stuff. Now, Stephen, I know that I you're a like person that, <laughs> that as long as I've known you, you've... You've wanted to have a very highly invasive vein removal surgery because yep. you just Get hate the idea of having veins, right? I hate that blood is running through my body. It's gross. <laughs> I don't blood it's doesn't you with us though. Blood doesn't disgust me though. That's the thing. Is yeah. seeing blood, it's like yeah, whatever. But veins. Why? They're so vulnerable. Yeah. Why? Why? Why didn't? Why aren't they? I don't know. <laughs> steel tubes. Why are they fucking just something little, substantial? 
oh god i hate having blood taken like i i i still like as a full-grown adult man have to look the other way and like just sort of fucking grin and bear it man um if if i have to give blood uh how do you feel about that scene where he rips out all i mean it's kind of veins oh. slash tendons but then he walks a marionette like which it's, which p.s why the fuck did it show that scene of him like phase shifting through that door in the real world now that yeah that was that weird. i have a problem with okay freddy yeah. can affect the physical world sure but can he make matter pass through matter like why did they even show us that why couldn't they have just showed us him sleepwalking and sleepwalking up to the tower why did they have to show us him phasing through this door that makes no sense by 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 the sixth film he has basically killed all children like there there is a deep dystopian world going on here in these nightmare movies he must have killed so many kids that he can affect matter in the real world he can make it like dissipate i don't know like how it it, it makes some sense if the actual finale I mean, because what we really do get is that um, after the sixth one, Freddy can sh can move between dimensions because mm -hmm. he he moves into our actual world where Heather Langenkamp is Heather Langenkamp and not Nancy. Right. And he he stalks and attacks her and kills her husband, etc. Um, and in Freddy versus Jason, he he goes to the dimension where Jason exists which is not the same as as his own dimension as far as we understand sure. like yeah <laughs> like he becomes so powerful he can do that so i actually would kind of believe it it's just that it's not explained like no. it seems it seems so out of the out of nowhere and then like it, i don't know we don't see a repeat of that we don't see him do anything similar to that ever no, again uh -uh. I don't think. I love yeah. that death though, man. It's so it's so brutal and even like the pained looks on his face as he's being like marionetted through. And dude, like one of the worst things about it to me is there's that heartbeat sound effect that uh -huh. whole time when he's being like yeah. dragged mm. along by his veins. So just fucking just a gross. reminder that blood is pumping through those veins. It's fucking God, Ugh. it Ugh. really affects me. There are two deaths in this that really affect me. What's the other one? Taryn's death. Oh, yeah, man. But it's not because of the way she dies. It's because we see those, like, open sucker mouths. At, I love at, like, it. That's on, so sick. And the crook of the elbow. And that seriously, that's, like, I don't even look at that part of my body ever. Because yeah. you can see veins. <laughs> And so seeing that, and I also, this is not a, a true scientific or psychological diagnosis, but tri tryptophobia is a thing that's talked about on uh, the internet. And I, I feel like I have it because anytime I see dark circles in those sort of patterns, it, it disgusts me for some reason. So just seeing those circles in that pattern kind of disgusted me already. What is and tryptophobia? You gotta check it out. You probably don't have it, but 
you will here's what happened when i first found out what tryptophobia was i found out that i absolutely have tryptophobia because look it up you'll see some pictures if you look at those pictures and they disgust you you'll immediately go i also have tryptophobia but tryptophobia is not a real psychological diagnosis it's actually just probably something we've developed as a species to hmm. uh, know what things to avoid but like spider eyes it, it, like when you see spider eyes do they really disgust you i'm revolted by spiders so it doesn't really count oh okay yeah uh, something like that where you see that you see a conglomeration of different sized circles huh that are all dark and it for some reason it it almost makes me want to puke like i the first time i saw something that made me realize I had it, I couldn't get that image out of my head for months. Ew. I would just like sometimes be like reading a book and it would flash in my head and I'd just be like, oh God. Ugh. So check it out if you want to find out something about yourself. Well, maybe I do, <laughs> maybe I don't. That's that's pretty interesting. Her death is really, really rad though. Uh, I, I do, yeah. and, and again, that's very heavily themed where her death is her being OD'd by Freddy. And and of course, um I can't remember what fucking homegirl's name is, but she gets her head slammed into Tara. the TV. Wanted to yeah. T- oh, uh, oh, oh no, that's uh, Jennifer. Jennifer, there you go. Like Jennifer who looks like a cabbage patch doll God, kind of. I know, right? Right. And uh, but I was thinking because she smokes and she like, you know, burns herself with her cigarettes that she's more like a garbage pail kid. <laughs> so like, Do you know who she really looks like? Like, really, really, really looks like? Mm-hmm. She looks like she could easily be the biological sister of the older brother from the Wonder Years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, Wayne? think about it. Yeah, totally Wayne's sister. Yeah, oh, 100%. That kid's in, <laughs> uh, he's in Monster Squad, too, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, like to, anytime I can, talk about Monster Squad. Hell, um, yeah, because it's the fucking best. But, yeah, her death is widely regarded by a lot of fans of the franchise it's as being so good. one of the best. And it is cool. I love the the it's way so that his surreal. head, like, pops out of the TV, yeah. like, all covered in latex and stuff. That's cool. Yeah, and, it, like, and he's got these, like, robotic arms. Yeah, like, they're not his so arms. It's like weird. The, the TV grew arms, because they're uh-huh. all cybernetic and shit. That's yeah. definitely really cool. Um, I do think that fucking, uh, who's our wizard master dude? That's, uh, uh, uh Phil? Will. Will. Will, there you go. Mm. Um, his death, the setup is kind of interesting, and I even like the fact that the arena that his death takes place in is just, like, kind of a... A hallway? Yeah, just kind of a hallway. Like, that's an environment yeah. your brain would conjure up in a dream. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a complaint yeah. of mine in some of the later ones is that some of the death scenes are just so fucking elaborate, dude. Like, your brain doesn't conjure up that, that elaborate no. of shit in your dreams. But the way that his dream is just, like, a hallway. And the way mm-hmm. that, you know, other girls... uh dream with the, the tv death was just like the room she was in uh-huh. like that's the Terrence kind of shit was just about. a small uh, alleyway later they're just in a, a hallway of mirrors like yeah, yeah it's all yeah those are exact because you in your dreams it, it, it's not this wide open world it, no. it does always some small area that you're kind of loads up generic backgrounds basically yeah and yeah his death where he's got the 
the the crazy death wheelchair thing. I think that that's a pretty gruesome image because I can only uh-huh. imagine to someone who is confined to a uh, to a wheelchair for the rest of their life. I imagine that that could be a very horrific vision to see this crazy, you know, pointy, spindly, blade-ridden wheelchair and stuff. That's a pretty grim image. And, of course, he tries to fight him off with all of his wizard powers. And then Freddy just basically, like, picks him up and just fucking stabs him with the glove, which yeah, there's not really... <laughs> that's the weird thing, dude, is, like, when you get down to it, Freddy's iconic weapon is his, you know, of course, his fucking blade glove. Yeah. He actually doesn't stab people with it that much through the whole series. That's true. In this, he kills two people with it, which is yeah. In other in other time, because like he he killed Johnny Depp with uh, uh, turning by turning him into all the blood in the world. All the blood. He killed he killed Rod by uh, bed you sheet. know bed sheet. He did kill uh, Nancy's Tina. friend yeah, Tina. Tina. Yeah, he did kill her with the glove. Definitely. That's like the first kill. But beyond that, it just becomes an intimidation tactic. Mm-hmm. Yep. More than anything. Totally, man. Totally. So it's kind of cool to see him actually just kind of murder somebody. Yeah. Um, with the with the glove, and I guess actually too, he kills Nancy with the glove. As yeah, well. he kills Kids Nancy maybe. with the glove. Um, by the way, that scene, um, that. The glove that uh, Freddie has is is real metal, by the way, and and yeah. could considerably harm someone. To uh, prevent the glove from getting through to poor Will, they used a two by four. They just had a two by four under his shirt, Whoa. so Robert England had to really hit that mark. Otherwise, could have been rough. Holy shit, that's pretty mm-hmm. rad. Yeah, um, I I think, you know, we we don't have in this quite as many of the dream deaths as you have in the future installments. Yeah, because um, Nancy's dad, played by John Saxon, his fourth appearance on this podcast, by the way. True, he's, he's been in four episodes of this podcast. John Saxon, um, he gets killed in the real world by the skeleton throwing him into a car and the skeleton does it have the claw i don't think that it does i was trying I to watch so. that myself too it's always yeah. in motion so it's hard to see but i do really love that after it throws nice guy bill maher into that hole and shovels like a dirt load of shovel on him yeah he kind of does this like street fighter like you win pose he did <laughs> He really was just. I like, don't imagine Freddie doing that at all. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I, but he d- he does slash that uh, nice guy Bill Maher at one point. Yeah, which like even though it seemed to me he didn't have claws, he somehow slashed him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but like so, the, a death occurs in the real world. Uh, Nancy is killed with the glove. We see what, like four people die in dreams, mm-hmm. and beyond that, I mean, we have so many survivors. It is, as a horror movie goes, this is a survivor-heavy horror movie. Oh, I gotta ask you too. What do you think about the old uh, tongue-tied, sexy nurse death? <laughs> I wish they had went with the original, where they had they put uh, Freddy Krueger makeup on her. 
so there was like a transition to her just being a, uh, like, you know, this naked nurse to being a naked nurse with a Freddy Krueger head. Yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah. They had I saw the stills that. of that. That looked really yeah. weird. Um, but beyond that, like, uh, you know, like the tongue tied thing, it seems like they worked backwards from that. Like somebody right. was like, what does tongue tied mean? Yeah. And then they mute. were like, are you, you know, tied up with, he's tongue tied. He's tied up with tongues. Right. Okay. So we'll have him being seduced and she'll bite out his tongue and turn those into ties. Obviously. Got it. <laughs> but that he doesn't even die though. That's the thing. Like how many people survive this? Three of the Dream Warriors survive, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, Kincaid and Kristen, and uh-huh. that's Joey, isn't it? Yeah, Joey. Yeah. Uh, Will dies. Uh, Taryn dies, and and uh, the the puppeteer guy Phil, and, and Jennifer. Yeah. Um, they all die, and Will. So uh, there are a lot of deaths. Two or one of them is out in reality. One of them is two of them. I guess are just force kills where he throws one into a, a car and the other with his his glove so the the level of kill creativity is i think a good balance here yeah where like in future ones it's all just they're all you know these particular dreams set up for each individual person and there are no extraneous kills in this it's it's a good smattering i i don't know i i think this movie just comes out especially once you've seen all of the others this movie comes off as the one that had the best vision throughout the one that that really knew what it was going to be throughout i can see that yeah i can definitely see that because it definitely has this theme of kind of horror kind of fantasy at the same time and it does Uh stick to that pretty consistently through the whole movie like there's definitely some tonal inconsistencies in one and two and then in four onwards it's just kind of like i don't know is this a fucking comedy or is it horror like what the fuck is this kind of thing yeah. um i'm with you i can definitely see this as being one of the more consistent of the sequels for sure from top to bottom in a lot of ways yeah. overall what are you thinking as far as a final rating and evaluation of this flick what's your likes dislikes and so on this movie is so enjoyable to me yeah. like I, I can sit down and watch it any time and i it doesn't irritate me like i i can't think of any particular moments that irritate me much except for patricia arquette screaming yeah <laughs> lots of that it's just so much it's so much screaming and it's like why wait why are you screaming right now <laughs> what is making you scream i don't get it um so that but beyond that like i like all of the characters I like that we're introduced to I, who's the whoever the puppeteer death was. We're introduced to him, and he's immediately like charming and interesting. And then he's the first to die. Yeah, totally. He's the next. I like that bunch. they did. Yeah, I like that they did that. So then, like, it makes you get more into the other characters because that character you almost immediately can like. You're just like, oh, well, he's gone. <laughs> and then, um. I, I really I love all the debts. I think they all look great. Dislikes, uh, some of the some of the dialogue is not great at True. all. Like, yeah. and there are moments where it's just like that was a shit transition from one piece of exposition to another. Especially when you have good guy Bill Maher and Nancy talking. 
anytime totally. those two are talking it's like ugh, i don't this is not great like, this is poorly written and, and those scenes are mostly just to get exposition out and they're really just not that good i also i feel like we got so many characters in this because like we're introduced to amanda krueger in this well right. I, we haven't even talked about the fact that this is the line where you know this movie gives us the line that he's uh the son of a uh the bastard son of a hundred maniacs right yeah like we find kind of basic out basic origin yeah we find out that freddy krueger is the result of a nun being raped hundreds of times by people in a, a mental institution which uh reminds me of phenomena by the way oh yeah uh, see that. Yeah, anyway, so, like, we get introduced to so many characters in this, and I don't think we get deep into any one. I think that's the problem mm -hmm. with this movie, uh, is that, like, Patricia Arquette is supposed to be our, you know, our protagonist. Most of what she does is scream. Like, most, like, we never learn much about her. I know. I still kind of feel like Nancy's the main character of this movie. Yeah, like, Nancy's comes off as the main character we're kind after. of sold that kira krista kirsten is the main character of this uh -huh. movie but honestly i do feel like nancy is the main character yeah and it, like i would like that because kincaid i think like it, they they go obviously he has rage issues like he has all these issues but like why we don't we don't learn any of why because i yeah, get why, we don't learn I why get, dudes mute either yeah exactly I, I mean we know why will's in a wheelchair uh we know why taryn is there because she was a drug addict etc yeah. but like they're all they're tied all together by having these dreams like i'd like to know more about them and how it is they all come together in these dreams is it just because they're the last survivors and they're in proximity or like is is there some connection like i i would like to get more of that which by totally. the way i i can't fully fault this movie for this movie can't be everything i would like for future movies maybe to have gone into some of these things but that's not the way it went the future movies were basically just like let's duplicate exactly what they did in dream warriors yeah let's try to do that not again. deviate at all yeah but i i don't know i think this is just uh <laughs> this is such a great horror movie sequel that it's hard for me to to find the negatives to be that negative but it's also ridiculous in my mind to give it too high of a score because again it, it's not as complicated and in, in depth as the first one yeah it doesn't have as much richness of character and freddie does really become just sort of a um you know a, a one-hit wonder of of you know quips and right. saying saying bitch a lot <laughs> like uh, so I, I think though this is still a really awesome movie so i have to say it's a seven and a half right on but man a high seven and a, a high seven and a half ben the highest it can get right on man i i understand that and i do think that this movie um like you said, is just a fantastic watch, even if it isn't the best of the series, which I yeah. consider, I still consider the first one to be the best in the series. It's one of my favorite horror flicks ever, mm -hmm. period. Yeah, it is. It's the best in the series, for sure. This is still just a very enjoyable watch, and it's mm -hmm. mostly thanks to, man, 
the set design in this movie is out fucking standing. The set designs <laughs> yes. are beautiful. Yes, it is. Whether you're talking about the boiler room or whether you're talking about the you know, like the old, fire pit. Oh, dude, that's so sick with yeah. all the like, that the kind of hell pit thing. That actually reminded me of a video game level. <laughs> I was yeah. just like, I could see how like you walk through the door and then Freddy's like, "Come get your guy" or whatever, and then you got to find your way down and fight him. Right. Like, yeah, it's such a great design. Yeah, exactly, man. So it's like the set designs are amazing, especially the old decrepit uh, Elm Street house and stuff looks so fucking awesome and scary man i wish that there was more of that quality of set design in some of the some of the latter movies and some of the previous movies too because the set design of this is beautiful so this is a really just great to watch movie with some great performances and stuff in it um i do think that a lot of mega fans of this movie ignore some of the wasted potential that is right there as we said we have this new main character of kirsten who never really does that that much other than no freak out and scream a lot we've yeah. we've got honestly i even feel like nice gal nice guy bill maher is kind of a wasted attribute in the sequels he never comes back yeah. he survives this movie and never comes back he knows everything he's a yeah. licensed and trained psychiatrist exactly he would be perfect to train future dream warriors like that would be exactly where you would want to go exactly plus he apparently had kind of i guess at least a semi-romantic tryst with 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 nancy where it seemed like they were getting along really really good with each other yeah and he could have like carried on this legacy of trying to stop freddy in the name of nancy it's like maybe he didn't want to come back maybe they never thought of that i don't know but that was kind of a waste of potential and honestly too you know again there's all kinds of problems with freddy's powers and lore and stuff in this movie but i'll even say that the whole dream warriors aspect of these kids in their dreams have a power that they can utilize is very fucking wasted um Like, let's take, for example, even the survivors, right? Like, the survivors that lived. Like, obviously, fucking Will's power did not help him. Fucking Taryn's powers did not help her at fucking all Mm-mm. to survive. Like, what if we would have had a scene where it showed Kincaid, you know, being attacked by Freddy in a dream and his dream fighting power of strength? Yeah, exactly. What yeah. if it helped him fight him off? Instead, like, yeah. basically all that we ever see his strength power do do you remember he like holds that pipe while he Kirsten holds slides a pipe down steady it? and he breaks through a wall like the kool-aid man and that that the breaking through the wall wasn't even necessary he was the next no. door over he was just showing off yeah uh kirsten's fucking gymnastics powers yeah she like drop kicks freddy once but it doesn't stop shit from happening no so like honestly even if you get down to it it's like even the whole dream warriors aspect is woefully underutilized like nobody's powers help him really other than kirsten being able to pull people into dreams yeah that's that that kind of keeps the whole movie rolling right there yeah that's the only dream power that's worth a shit actually it really is i mean like because you would think because i the will's magic seemed to have some effect on him and taryn stabbing him seemed to have some effect on him he 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 does feel pain yeah but like, I just don't know that any of not enough. I don't, yeah, I was gonna say I don't know that any of those things would ever be enough to stop him. No. What What I would kind of love is if 
the fourth movie picked up and we're in a school for dream masters mm-hmm. and and we see like a i don't know like a, a young child in a dream like dodging freddy etc and then leading him into a trap where they like trap him somewhere and basically then the the movie is freddy trying to fight off these dream masters awesome that would yes. have been fucking awesome or let's say there's even like a sequel where there's this whole group of like super woke like lucid dreamers who just beat the shit out of freddy for fun because yeah. they're like in control of the dreams like that would be awesome yeah, because then you can embrace the fact that freddy is in fact the hero because the movie would then be freddy trying to overcome these bully lucid dreamers <laughs> that's interesting yeah, like, that that's would be fun. badass yeah exactly that would be really 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 fun to see so i don't know i feel like this movie to me in a lot of ways is a victim of its own hype where people go absolutely nuts mm-hmm. over it and so I go into it with like mega, mega, mega high hopes and I, I see some flaws and stuff. Um, and I don't think this movie is as good as what a lot of people mm. think it is. Again, the set design, the special effects, the deaths, uh, this new Freddy formula that gets put out, really fucking cool. And it's still just such a fucking enjoyable mm. watch. I think that this one, to me, in terms of the entire franchise, is it's second place to the first one i want to say that i rated the first one like maybe like a nine or a nine yeah. and a half or something like that i think i rated it a nine and a half because it is one of my favorites yeah. um i would put this one at a solid eight and a half if you ask wow. me like yeah. it's super enjoyable but come on it's still got some problems and stuff but just a very enjoyable watch and docking soundtrack come on you got you gotta love the docking you gotta hells yeah man so yeah overall highly 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 recommend uh watching this one again and again i love it i've seen this one very many times and uh i will watch it very 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 many more times i don't want to seem like i'm being too nitpicky about it but i'm just mostly responding to people's hype about this movie about how good it is when it has its flaws, but man, I still really fucking love, 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 love this movie, obviously. Well, Ben, what are we doing next week? Well, next week, we're going to continue with our February Black History Month theme of movies where the black dude lives. We're going to be talking about Dawn of the Dead. Hell yeah. The original, by the way, just so you know. We're not doing the Zack Snyder one yet, Hell though yeah. I do like that movie. And we will eventually do it. Uh, yeah, I'd like yeah. to eventually, for sure. The, but we're talking 1970s George Romero, Dawn of the Dead. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's it's so good. It's such a good movie. I really enjoy yeah. it so much. And um, awesome. uh, I really hope that we we can get into how that movie changed zombie movies but like 30 years ahead of time like it, it it gave us the idea of surviving in this dystopian zombie horror land um and no nobody picked up that thread for so long like but when we finally got totally. back into zombies that was it that was everything people were doing so dawn of the dead is just so far ahead of its time it's so great Totally agree. So that'll be a great one to 
to cover on the show. In the meantime, you guys can give me a follow over on Instagram and Twitter at Ben Eller Guitars. Steve, where, where can they find our podcast? And you? Um, you can find me at Steven Spratling. You'll figure it out. Um, but you can always email us at deadandlovelypod at gmail.com. Uh, got a really great email uh, about our Baskin episode, <laughs> and I wanted to bring it up. I wanted oh, to yeah? bring it up, but I knew this was going to be a long episode, so I, maybe we'll talk about it in a different episode. But really great email that uh, brought some great questions and ideas out of the movie that we didn't see. Um, also, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, at DeadLovelyPod. We also have a Facebook group that's awesome. So check us out. Rad, man. Rad. Well, you guys be sure to go on iTunes Rate and review our podcast with a G-rated rating and description on there. Please give us a rating. It helps us show up on your searches and feeds and blah, 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 blah. So please go on iTunes, rate, and review this podcast. Uh, in the meantime, stay tuned for our Dawn of the Dead episode next week. You guys have just been so luscious and divine and delicious, and we have been dead and lovely. Salutations. You're all my children now. Guys, straight talk only in here. <laughs> God, they say that like 800 times yeah, in this do. movie. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs>